Welcome to the Music Business Insights Podcast. I'm your host, Orlando Alvarez, and if you're desperate to break into the music business and want to hear tips and advices from insiders, this podcast is for you. You'll be able to discover from the professionals themselves what it takes to do what they do and where to start if you're a beginner. Are you ready? Let's go. On today's podcast, we have a very, very special guest. His name is Chris Coyne. He's a two times Emmy nominee, fully recorded mixer and professional singer. And uh, it's my absolute pleasure starting this podcast actually with this interview. And I know you're going to love it. This is going to be part one. Um, and part two is going to be dropping next week. I don't want you to miss that. And let's get this started. Hey, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> What's up, dude? Hey, how's it going? It's going well. How you doing, man? Really good, really good. Hey, welcome. And a pleasure to have you with us. It's it's such a pleasure to be here, man. It really is. Like we were saying before we officially started recording, this is my first LinkedIn uh, contact that I've had with, with anyone. So it's like exciting because I mean, we, you, you followed through with me and then I followed through with you. And, I, you know, we owe it all to my wife because she reminded me that I had this because I nice. was... I was doing Thank other you. stuff and she's <laughs> like, don't you have a thing at five? And I was like, oh my gosh, I do. So, uh, so yeah, no, it's a pleasure to be here. It really nice. is. Nice. Really nice. Um, and this is, this is really cool for many reasons because I also um, started dabbling into, you know, um, marketing and social media and all this stuff because as musicians, we need to, we just need to learn a little bit more Uh, where we move ourselves, <laughs> you know, the, the medium and what we can use to just connect with other people and just to do fun stuff like this and yeah. uh, just, you know, create and develop relationships. And what, I, uh, what I'm discovering as well is that, you know, like I, I talked to you a little bit before, it's like LinkedIn, uh, LinkedIn is really, really cool for, uh, for this purpose because People go, go in with a business mindset and it's different. It's more, uh, it feels more professional. I mean, I, I just connected with you and- Yeah, we uh, didn't know each other at all. And you, I think came up on like a, you might want to connect with this person. And maybe we had like three uh, connections in common or something like that. You know, and I just yeah. got on LinkedIn. I just started just, you know, trying to expand out myself, you know, yeah. because of the pandemic and everything, just make sure that I have all my ducks in a row uh, in case, you know, I, I need them. Yeah, of course. So, and so I started just kind of using LinkedIn a little bit more to, to, to link up with people. And, uh, and now I'm talking to you. So it's, <laughs> it's really cool. It's really nice. So I'm, I'm just going to start with the questions because I know people are, want to know more about you, of course. What was your childhood like? You'll have, I'll give you my therapist's phone number. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> he knows everything. So, no, my, um, my childhood. Well, um, I, my parents are divorced and uh, my childhood was like this. You know what I mean? Like it was like good and then bad and then good and then bad. And, you know, it got to the point where it was like you, each day you wouldn't really know. You know, I used to always say like I come home from school and I would not know who was going to be on the other side of that door. Like, mm -hmm. n you know, emotionally mm -hmm. speaking. So there's that. Also, my father is a was a professional musician. And, um, and then he got into the record business. So he got into radio. So he worked for a radio station. So that was like super cool when you're a kid. And my dad worked for like the rock and roll radio station in Boston, Mass. Anyone who hears this who's from Boston will, might remember WCOZ. And nice. their tagline was literally, and this is in the, in the 70s, because I'm a little older than I look, but it, it was WCOZ 94 and a half 
kick-ass rock and roll. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's what that was what they would say on air, on air. They'd be like WCOZ, kick-ass rock and roll. Da 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 da. Like it was unbelievable Man. that they they would never like. I don't know if they let you do that now on the radio. <laughs> um, so yeah, so my dad was a musician. My brother Steve played uh, played the guitar and still plays the guitar. He's now a music teacher. He is an incredible guitar player. And my brother Tim is not uh, involved in music now, but he did a lot of musical theater. He's a great singer, great actor. And uh, I started out playing the drums was my first love. I've got a Roland kit sitting right here still, along with my guitar that my brother, and I have another guitar hanging here, that my brother taught me how to play. And um, nice. so it was a it was a musical uh, childhood and also filled with a little bit of drama, you know, mixed in like 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 so many other people. I'm not you know that that's what a lot of musicians will and and performers and people in this in this industry, I think, share. You know, I, I was diagnosed with ADD as well. And it's like a big, big thing for me now. Mm-hmm. Because I'm also writing uh, some children's books awesome. and that address that diagnosis. And when it's given to a child at that age, when you're about 10, mm-hmm. it it's, can be devastating and it can be yeah. life altering where you think I'm not enough because I have an affliction that is called ADD, you know, mm-hmm. attention or ADHD or whatever. And, the, and the, that acronym is so brutal, I mm. think, for kids to deal with because they, they really do believe that they have a deficit. And in my experience and in my research is that it's not a deficit. It is a, it's an abundance of creativity mm. and a, an ability to think outside the box on a tangent that someone else may never... would never have thought of you know Mm. but still be able to find your way back and i think that's is a part of songwriting too because i have written songs for for feature films and things like that and just songs throughout my life you know that i think that's what songwriting kind of is is like this ability to to tangent out but still hold strong to what the song is Kind of mm. like a bridge, right? Like, yes. you know, like a bridge is where you go away, right? Mm-hmm. For a minute, but you're still tethered. Yeah. And then when you come back to the chorus from that tethered bridge, it just makes the chorus all the more powerful, right? Mm. I mean, that's just basic songwriting. And I, I know a lot of musicians who are incredible. They just can't write a song, dude. I'm sure you know some yeah. musicians that are insane, technical that's just not how their brain works. Exactly. And so I see it now after many years, you know, as it's a, it's a challenge. Generally, when, when people talk about that, it's, it's like this kind of negative connotation. And uh, for, some, for some reason, I mean, we, we managed to just push through and just to use it to, I mean, you, you managed to use it to your advantage. So... And, and that's, that, I mean, that's, that's remarkable. And that's what people, I think this is super interesting because I know many people would want to hear this because the whole thing behind it, it's kind of uh, this smoke uh, curtain. This is stigma. Yeah, it's exactly. An, it's a, yeah, basically what it is, is, is an intellectual, um, you know, stigma, it's a, it's a, it's a diagnosis and it's an incorrect one. Okay. Mm. And it basically has to do with something called executive function. So if like you think of your brain in two halves and then they have the, the, the Abdullah oblongata, I think is what it's called. And it connects both sides of your brain. And there's a little executive function. Like there's like a dude in there who's like, okay, what's important right now? Mm. And that's the only thing that ADD kids are missing. What's the most important thing for me to be focused on right now? Because there are a million things going through my head right now that I think are super important. 
right? Exactly. So like to me, it is, it is ultra important where that teacher, you know, got that scarf she has on because it's like so cool. I love that scarf, that <laughs> color, you know? And so I'm like sitting there focused on this scarf because this little guy that said, hey, well, dude, you will find out after class, but right now, <laughs> focus on <laughs> geometry or whatever you happen to be doing, you know? Exactly. But yeah, so, it's, there's yeah. so many misconceptions about that. And there, I mean, there is. It's, like, it's like I'm that- not paying attention or like I'm sort of drifting mm-hmm. off all the time. And like all those misconceptions are not true. And, you know, the thing about it as well um, is you get hyper-focus. There's, there's, a, mm-hmm. there's a flip side to it that a lot of people that they're starting to really discover now is that you can switch gears into this insane hyper-focus on something. And that can be bad too. You can mm-hmm. hyper-focus on negativity. Mm. You know, like adults with ADD, they, there's a higher suicide rate. Mm. There's a higher divorce rate. You know, the people can get very focused on the wrong thing too. So I mean, yeah. it's, it's really serious. That's why I'm so passionate about it. Cause I like to talk about it. And if I have any modicum of success, you know, there's so many examples of people out there that are technically ADD mm. that are the most successful people mm-hmm. in the world. You already responded basically the second question was, uh, you know, how do you start in music? And obviously with uh, family in music already, you find that it's something that you really, really wanted to do, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, like I said, my dad worked for a radio station in the 70s and 80s when they used to play vinyl Mm. on air. So they had a policy at his radio station where they played three plays and then the vinyl's got to go because they couldn't afford to have a skip. It was like Mm. really bad. So we had thousands of records that my dad would just take from work. So we had everything from Sgt. Pepper's to, you know, Foreigner, Michael Jackson, uh, we just had so many different, such an eclectic collection of, of records in our house that we could just listen to whenever we wanted to. Mm. And it was kind of insane in that way. And then we had like a playroom and that's where, you know, I got my first drum set and my brother had his guitar set up. And so music was like, sort of like, definitely not frowned upon or looked look down upon or anything it was just something that we just all just did yeah. very naturally That's you know awesome. and something my dad did so it made it kind of like a, a no-brainer you know for us well my part it was kind of a bet uh <laughs> between <laughs> between this is really funny uh between my grandma and my mom and my dad so here's the thing i i i love uh, I love uh, martial arts. I never got into it, but I, my dad knew it. And uh, he, you know, he was, he's a big fan as well. Um, but, uh, you know, I also like music. So um, back in Cuba, um, he wanted to, I mean, he, he literally t- took me to judo, uh, judo school. And the, the teacher, I was, I was smaller than the other kids in, in age. Um, and the teacher was like, no, 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 don't bring it here. It's, it's too, he's too young. And my dad is like, Hey, do you need to see this kid? Do you need to? <laughs> and when he finally, uh, uh, um, you know, took me to, to you to school the uh, the teacher said like, okay, no, 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 bring it tomorrow. <laughs> because oh, I was, really? I was uh, he was, I, I was, I was big for my age. So, and, um, then what happened was like my mom and grandma, uh, heard about that, <laughs> and then uh, they made a plan, and they like, okay, uh, we're gonna do this. If if we enroll him in uh, music school, uh, and he passes all the tests and all that, he goes to music school. If if he fails, uh, then you know you take him to Udo. <laughs> Guess what happened? <laughs> wow, that's crazy! And I ended up, you know, graduating like nine years after. Uh, music percussion, percussion teacher, and all that. And uh, yeah, I mean, I I found myself coming here to the states, and, and it's and it's uh has been a blast because I I have to learn everything again. 
including polishing my English, which is not by, by any means by, by any means perfect. It's, but it's very been, very good though. How long have you been here? Uh, about seven years. Um, okay. Tell me something. What was the first paid job that you had in music? Oh, paid job. Yeah. Um. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um. Well, I would have to be. God, it is so hard to get paid in music. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> you know, um, like when you're young. I mean, I'm trying to think of like live live shows. But where, that moment, yeah, that that moment in music where you you know made your first buck doing music. It's uh, for that would probably be then when I did the, I did a musical. I did a tour of a musical called Hair. I don't know if you ever heard mm. of Hair. Not sure. If I I'm just got let the sun shine, let oh. the sun shine in, the sun shine in. That's, oh, I think, that, yeah. That's from, from Hair. And uh, awesome. this is the dawning of the age of Aquarius. The age oh, of Aquarius. Man. Okay. That, that's those are songs from that musical. They kind of like that's awesome. Came out in the how 60s old, how old were you? And so I was in my 20s, honestly. And that was like, you know, my first real paying. That was like, you know, like I got the lead in that show. Because I, mm. I have like a, a very eclectic life too. Like I've done a lot of diff different things. But at that time, I was playing, I was playing in a rock band. So I was about 26. I'd say when I, when I really was like, okay, so now I'm getting paid to do this mm. exclusively because I went on tour. So, right. Mm. So now I don't have any other job. And so that's how I make my living is doing theater singing. Awesome. And honestly, like there could be little things here and there, but that's like the first real, you know what I mean? Like I, I don't count $17 from a show because <laughs> It's just like, I don't even remember. You know what I mean? Usually yeah. we, we end up owing the club money. Because <laughs> they have that pay-to-play system here mm. in the States where you need to sell at least 25 tickets. And that sounds easy until you try to sell 25 tickets. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> you realize you only have 18 friends <laughs> or whatever, you know? And you're yeah. like, dude, we got to come up with the money for these pre-sales. So I never, I never made money playing rock and roll, um, and then musical theater, and then, and then I worked in Vegas. I did twelve shows a week for six years in Las Vegas. Huh, awesome! That's so that's singing. Two shows a night, six nights a week. Yep, that was singing. Yeah. So I started out playing awesome. the drums, but then I, I quickly moved into into singing, and I became a, a really a professional singer. And that's what I did for, for a long time. So that was my first. And then my last uh, paying gig, I think I got a little tiny check from, from ASCAP hmm. <laughs> for a, a song I had in a movie. I'm not sure if it was what movie, but it, it, I think it was called By God's Grace. Hmm. And I wrote the theme song. Awesome. Because I was actually working on the, on the film. I had my own company at the time and we did all the post audio so we did all the sound effects background dialogue adr everything we mixed it we printed it to spec and gave it to them and um they were new they didn't really know what they were they, you know they were new to filmmaking and mm. it was like a christmas movie called by god's grace and then the credits rolled and it was just total silence oh. and i was like they don't have a stay there's there's no song for the credits. Huh. So this is kind of crazy. I'll say it as fast as I can, but I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna write a song. I, I want to see if if I can if anything good can come out of this. So I started writing it. I'm like, ooh, you know when you get the chorus and you're like, oh, this is good, dude. And then I was do like, Do I wanna do I wanna give it to them already? Yeah, yeah right. I'm like, well, what am I gonna do here? So I was like, you know what? <laughs> I was actually in, I had gone to school for, for Pro Tools. Hmm. Um, and so I was, I was in this little like 
18 month program. So I had access to a pretty incredible studio, with a bunch of great outboard gear and all this stuff. So I went in and just recorded the guitar part and the vocal part by myself. Hmm. Then I, I asked anyone, how am I going to put the drums on? You know, oh, this, yeah. this guy in my class was like, I know this dude who plays finger drums for like Prince and like all these, and he lives in Germany and he's insane, dude. Oh, hold on. What? <laughs> yeah. He like plays like, no kidding. Yeah. And he's like an incredible huh. finger drummer. And I was like, okay. He's like, so just kind of sit on the song and then write out what you want here. And so I'd be like, okay, so this is just basic four on the floor. And I'm like, then we get the chorus. And then I'm like, do a little build. And I kind of talked him through it. He sent it back. Dude, it was so good. I was like, I'm like, oh my God, this is, this is amazing. Gave it to another friend. He put the bass on it. A guy from school. And then we... We mixed it at my studio, and then I just I just tagged it on the end of the movie. I didn't even tell the producers or the director mm. or anybody. So when we gave him like the cut, I it was risky, but I was like, "Yeah, this is really good." What's the worst thing that could happen? Like, how dare you, right. you yeah. know, spend <laughs> ninety hours right writing and producing the song? So anyway, so I gave it to him, and they like. Uh, they were like in tears when they heard the song because it, it was called By God's Grace. And, you know, people make movies. It's like their baby. And, and to know that someone cared that much mm. and it was moving to them. So it ended up in the movie. But yeah, so for, for music, that's that's the latest thing. That's, that I, that's really, that's really, really cool. Yeah. Uh, so uh, one, one tip that, that you will give like the youngest you starting music Now that you know, oh, you know. <laughs> okay. Be prolific. Make, don't be so precious with everything. It doesn't have to be perfect. But keep writing. Keep, keep going. Make it part of your daily routine. That's what a professional does. You have to be prolific in anything you do. You can't have five songs. And they're all like really good to you, right? And then all of a sudden you're like, I know, but really the strongest of the five is really this one. Hmm. But what you need to have is 50 songs, you know, and then you can start to see what you're doing right and what you're doing wrong. And that's the only way to, to grow is to be prolific. And I would, I would tell myself that I would say, don't be so precious with all your shit. It's not that good. Hmm. <laughs> just Man, it's yeah. not just keep going just keep writing keep don't write a great think you got a great song i think you got enough for an album or now we got enough for an ep you need to have more and mm. and uh i would also tell myself listen to that little little voice that you ignore every day that's telling you who you are as a musician you know don't think Oh, you know, country is still selling like units. So I should maybe like write some country songs because it seems like that's what's still selling. So I'll kind of put a little twang on and be a country artist. Or, you know, when I when I first started, I was like a heavy metal singer. And then I was like musical theater. And then I was country. And then I did this kind of gospel album. And, you know, through it. It took me forever, and I still am not 100% sure who that person is authentically. Hmm. Who, like, who is my voice? And I think it's the biggest challenge for any artist, whether you're an actor or a singer or a musician, is that voice. You, you do know. You're just not listening hmm. because you're so focused on what you think this business is about. And what you think you needed to get done, to get it done, to get the money, to be relevant, uh, to be cutting edge and stay, you know, relevant and where you're supposed to be, where you think you're supposed to be. And the reality is you're really supposed to just be you hmm. and be you, a lot of you, hmm. 
find out who you are and, and be that, be that guy prolifically. And you will strengthen that voice that you can barely hear will become your identity and you'll be fulfilled. It's the only way to be fulfilled as an artist is to listen to the, to the voice. You know the voice I'm talking about? Mm, yeah. Okay, the one you, you ignore for years and years and years. That one. That guy. That's true. <laughs> you know, because you, you can get pulled away from that so easily by, especially bandmates. Mm. Um, it's the people that are closest to you that are most scared of, of letting you listen to your authentic self because they're going to they're gonna lose you. Mm. Maybe. So just do. And, and, and not only that, it's like, do what makes you happy. People want, people want to reach for the, you know, million dollars. <laughs> They want to reach for million followers, a million this, a million that. In reality, what you need to do is be happy with what you're doing. Yeah. And I mean, that, that in you know, of itself, it's, What you, what you gave is just an amazing, amazing uh, advice because um, when you started out in music, you're pretty much lost. <laughs> yeah. You don't know where to go and uh, you don't know who, who to listen to. And, and then you saying that, um, that, that, that's, I mean, that's just confirmation that you just need to do and um, just move forward because that's, I mean, that's the only way. Yeah, and you'll grow and you'll look mm -hmm. back on stuff and you'll be like, oh my gosh, what was I thinking? But you know what you'll also do is you'll listen back at something that's 20 years old or right. from when you're a kid and be like, holy, that's actually good. I was really into that at that point. You know, whether it's like I was really into speed or I was really into singing like really high all the time or, you know, you're like, wow, man, I was, that, that was great. Or sometimes you might listen back and just be like, what? Well, so what, what it gets me in that way, it's, uh, the, the, my, uh, actually my graduation back in Cuba, uh, I play xylophone. I play, uh, it's a violin piece adapted to xylophone. Okay. That sounds <laughs> awesome. Uh, the, the, the school principal was like, who's the crazy guy who's going to play that yeah, <laughs> yeah. xylophone? And, um, and people um, underestimate the xylophone, dude. It is a beautiful instrument. Yeah. And I was studying so much that, I mean, that's the only video that I kind of could save. I have that one in YouTube and every time I watch it, my heart, it's like pumping. It's like I'm there and, and man, if I miss a note, it's going to be, it's going to be doom. It's an intense moment. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. I did it. I did it every night for, for six years and um, twice a night. It's that rush, right? It's that adrenaline yeah. that it's, it's awesome. It's crazy, but you know, you can get caught up in something. You can get caught, for a singer, you can get caught up in, um, am I going to forget the lyric? Mm. Okay, because that's kind of like our worst nightmare. Yeah. Um, is to go, uh, we call it going up on a lyric. Like you just, all of a sudden you're like, wait, what? Where, what, where am I? And you do. Okay, so it, it's not a question of, are you going to forget a lyric at some point it's it's just when <laughs> and then when it happens although it's awful and you sweat like 400 gallons of sweat <laughs> within, within a tenth of a second um it's not that bad you just make shit up until you figure it out again and then you get on track and hopefully you get off stage and the worst part is the is the cast they yeah. just they just are relentlessly giving you a hard time about it but like sometimes your worst case scenario is not as bad as you think and that's that's what i mean about mm. being being prolific and when you're writing being uh being free to make mm. mistakes you know like uh whenever i'm writing I, i have to i have to be alone because it's so it's just so embarrassing to mm. really let loose from writing a vocal melody and i'm trying stuff out and it's just terrible i mean like 90% of the stuff that you first think is you're just like, this is so bad that you just laugh. But then from that, something can click, you know, but you have to be open like that. And you have to be that way as a performer too, I believe. You have to be, uh, you have to be open to 
making a mistake or you will never get to the next level of performance because mm. you're scared. Yeah. When you operate in fear, you don't get anywhere artistically. You just don't. You think you do, but you, you don't. You, you're like, if you're just trying to get through the show without making a mistake, you're wasting your time and you're not inspiring anybody. I, I've seen singers forget lyrics. I'm sure you have too. It makes for a hell of a moment in the show. <laughs> Depending on the show. I mean, musical theater is a little different because it's like, you know, there's a shitload of people just got thrown off. And the whole thing's a nightmare. But just a, a show, you know, there's like, ah, uh, guys, I just forgot the lyrics. You know what I mean? It, it bring, everybody comes together for you, you know? And like, let's just, let's pick it up from that second verse, you know, or whatever. It's crazy. I, I mean, I, I, I for sure forgot in li a lyrics, wrote all the songs, did all the music. I knew it all. It, <laughs> it comes, a, you know, a performance. Um, and then, you know, I forgot the lyrics. Everyone else was cool. And then I just forgot. And, yeah. And everyone's like, and how did you forget? You wrote it. And you're like, exactly. It's like, what, you can't explain what? it, dude. Yeah, you know, I can, I can explain it. I can't explain it because I've had so much experience with this. I, I've spent a lot of time thinking about it. You forget the lyric because there is an emotion happening in you that has never happened before. You are living in the moment. And no matter how many times you rehearsed it, you never felt that before. And that's called growth. And that's what makes you forget because you've attached your previous emotion to that lyric. And then now you've erased that emotion has been filled in with a new one. And it all happens so quickly that the, the connectivity of this old emotion is gone and it makes you forget. Oh, right. Man. And so it's because it's that muscle memory of your, your mind and your emotional content is what helps you remember. Right. So that's just, it's just, That's where the growth happens. Now, sometimes you can pull it off and you just remember it the last millisecond, right? Oh. But yeah, but it's like when you're in a church and you're in that setting and maybe, you know, you just, you had a thing and that it just makes you forget because you, you are experiencing it differently now. And so kind of like, you know, if you take away the choreography from someone who's used to singing a song and dancing to it, they will forget the lyrics because huh. they have attached the lyric to their yeah. physicality. Uh, I see that all the time. That's... When we used to try to promote shows, we'd go, they stand there and sing. And no, I mean, people, be, I've seen just people like, I have no idea what I'm doing right now. Cause, or you'll see them all, you'll see them like kind of dancing. because they just, they, it's all attached, you know? Mm. So That's been my, my, uh, my research. Anyways. That's the best. Actually, that's the best explanation I've heard about that. That's, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's what I truly, truly believe. You know, Chris, it's like, yeah. What's the, the work of all the, what you've done so far? Uh, what you're most proud of? Um, probably, I, I ended up, writing an EP uh, and there's a song on there um, called Move a Mountain that I wrote for my wife when I first met her and you know I didn't actually put it like pen to paper and like record it until 10 years later Um, and that's what I mean about being like prolific. Like it would have mm -hmm. been nice. Like I wrote the chorus 10 years ago. And then mm -hmm. after I wrote the song for that movie, the producer was like, I really want you. She kind of like commissioned me to write, you know, sort of like a Christian music. But I, I'm, I'm, I'm most proud of, of that song because I have two kids and they, when they hear that song, they know is that's, that's the song daddy wrote for mommy and they love that that's song. Awesome. So for me, that's probably the thing I, I am the most proud of. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's legacy. I mean, I wish I had like a, a number one hit or something like that, but at the end of the day, they don't care. 
Mm-hmm. They just they just hear me singing that and they hear it like it comes up in the car, like on my playlist or something, you mm-hmm. know, and they're like, Daddy, you know, and I sing to my son every night before awesome. I put him to sleep. And um, I sing the song By God's Grace to him, that song I wrote for the movie. And, awesome. you know, and that was the first movie I ever worked on in a post-production uh, sound effects um, in, in that way. Like I had never done it before. Like I had just been a musician and I honestly didn't know if I could do it. I mm. was like, you know, put, put back into like another place where I was like, I got to put the backgrounds in and I got to do the Foley for these footsteps. And I remember thinking like, how am I going to be good at this? <laughs> I don't have any idea. You know what I mean? Like, well, I guess we'll find out. And I just started doing it. So, I mean, there's a lot of special things that came from that very first film that I did. And I realized, oh, thank God. Like, I, 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 I was right. I knew I could do it. And I did it. And I, so I listened to that, that voice, too. That said, mm-hmm. You're, you're going to be good at this. Don't, don't so worry. That's the first time you started, like, in post-production? Yeah. And mm-hmm. post, post-production is, is very difficult it's very unique. I, I want to, I'm intrigued because I've, I, I know I've seen videos and recording all these things and it's, it's just epic. It's this world that, uh, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm baffled by it because it's, it's so, um, so niche and, um, and specific as well, because I mean, I, I bet there's a lot of specifications that you get that you need to, you know, you need to accomplish that just, you know, for, for a film or if you can, if you can talk more about that. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, the key is, you know, people don't understand that when you're, when people are making a movie, the onset sound mixer, their job is to get the dialogue. The end. That's it. This is okay. Just so this is breaking news. This is this is blowing my mind right now. So yeah. you're telling me that in the movie they yeah. just I mean what what they do is just getting the the vocal, gotta nothing else. The dialogue is king. They gotta get the dialogue, especially if they got a list actor, for example, who's only there for a week. Hmm. They'll, yeah, they'll put seven mics on this guy to make sure <laughs> they get. They cannot <laughs> not have his dialogue. Right? It's got to be clear. It can't be muffled underneath his jacket. The boom operator can't be high ops, you know, with the going off access. You know, he's got to be right there, you know, and mm-hmm. you got to get that dialogue. And, and it's the only thing, it's their only job is to get the dialogue. There's no footsteps, no backgrounds. In fact, any backgrounds would be detrimental to the dialogue. So if the mm-hmm. truck was going by, they, they would hold. If the plane is going over, they hold. They try to get it as quiet as they can, even if they're supposed to be in a nightclub with the music cranking, or they're supposed to be, you know, at a, in an airport. Man, that's okay? crazy. Or in a in a restaurant. Great huh. example. All the extras in the background are just pantomiming. They're not actually fucking saying anything. Man. We put that in later, all of it, because we need to have control. You know, dishes, hitting, all that stuff. None of that's in production. None. And I know for a fact that in a movie, sound, it's, man, it's, I mean. Sound is most, dude, watch, watch Star Wars without sound design. Oh, It look like yeah. a bunch of dudes in cardboard suits. <laughs> that it's. That walking it's, around cheap sets. Okay. That it's. You know, if epic. you don't have that lightsaber, mm. sound effect. And you don't have James Earl Jones doing Darth Vader. Hmm. None of that stuff was done on set. James <laughs> Earl Jones is not in that out costume. Hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like C-3PO. I use Star Wars a lot because it's really, you know, when they were making it, everyone was like, this is, is going to be the shittiest movie ever made. Hmm. But then the sound, the lasers, the lightsabers, you know, obviously it's an epic, classic epic tail right mm. so you know and there's just great moments but you like for example you would never any siren that you hear or in a tv show is mm. not from the set there will <laughs> not once would someone play a siren on the set 
Hold on. So, woo, so woo, 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 woo. police cars pull up, fire engines, all that's put in later. So hold on. All the all the police cars, ambulances, and all that. None they of, just turn off the sound. One of those that you've ever heard in your life from a from a movie is was being played on the set. <laughs> oh, man. And if it was, so it was someone's job to take it out and then put in another, put in the good one. That's crazy. <laughs> I always freak people out with that. I'm like, so you know, like when a cop oh, pulls man. up and you just hear them go like, whoop, whoop, or whatever, when they kind of like say it's like the detectives, right? They mm. come on the scene and then you hear they do that little, that police yeah. that chirp. Yeah. They pull up, but they got the lights on though. Mm. And that's my job is I go like, oh, they probably can do a little chirpy chirp when they come up here, you know? And I'm like, look at my library. I'm like, whoop, whoop, whoop. yeah, okay, that's yeah. cool. That's cool. <laughs> or, you know, they're, oh, here they come. Mm. The police are coming. You know, we have to build like that whole thing to bring reality into it because without, mm. and like uh, birds chirping and mm. if they're near a lake or a stream, you know, I'll throw in, there's some water in the background that you don't even, you're not even really aware of. But if they find like a body, like, I'm, I don't, you know, it's like they found a body in the woods or something. You would need to have all that background fill mm. to give some reality. So that it doesn't just look like a couple of actors walking through the woods. Because mm. that's what it looks like when I get it. Like I, I'll get movies and I'll be like, I'm, I'm like, this is like, this is the worst movie so I've ever <laughs> worked on. And then by the mm. time I'm done though, I'm like, this is good. Now, now this is a movie. Now yeah. it's a movie. Now we got the sound of the car, the car chase, the screeching tires, the, um, everything like that. Plus you add, if you get a great, get lucky, get a great score. Mm. Um, fights, body hits, body falls. I don't know why actors do this, but it's a nervous tick where they're talking and they're kind of like trying to think of their next line and you'll see them uh, talking, kind of go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I love to put a little shout if they're in a city, like, hey, you motherfucker, like way, way in the back. <clears throat> and then they you just see the actor look and then look back to give him something to look at. And it makes his performance better because you, you think he's in the moment. And it's just like a lot of little things like that that you might not even ever think of, but when you've got it in front of you, you're like, ooh, this will be fun if I, can, if I can do that. It'll make it that much more real. But you never want the audience to know that you've done anything. That's right? mind-blowing. Yeah. Same That's epic. Same with feet, dude. Like. None of those feet are, are production. I mean, occasionally, I, I have a production track where it's in production. A lot of times actors, they'll talk and they'll say they'll hit the table on the line. Mm. And you're stuck with it. Mm. Because they said it. If they had just gone, Mom, I love you. And then they hit their hand, I could foley that hand. Exactly. But when they go, Mom, I love you. And they do it right on the line, I'm like, oh. So I go back and try to find... Another take where they didn't hit their hand, I will take I love you when I'm editing dialogue and I will put the other to two takes together to get mm. rid of the one with the hand. And then I will replace that hand with Foley huh. so that we can control it in the mix. Maybe they don't want it to be that loud. Maybe they want it to be really loud, you know, and mm. I can control the surface. Maybe it didn't, maybe it's a wooden table, but it sounded like he was hitting concrete or something. Mm. So I can create a better world than the one they shot in. Hmm. If that makes any sense. That's kind of my job as a, as a sound designer or a Foley uh, recordist. You know, like it's very rare that we'll use the thing hmm. that, you know, like guns. Hmm. There's, a, there's a rule, okay? And this, is, this drives me crazy. You'll notice this now. I'm going to ruin your life. Okay. <laughs> your life. okay. 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 You ever uh, notice how just, when the dude's got no, the gun? Just, Turn off, turn off the episode right now if you're Don't listening. Listen. This is a secret. <laughs> you're going to be like, yeah, why is that? Okay, Let's so ruin like, people's hey, life right now. Okay. I'm going to take you out, man. <laughs> and, then he, and then he moves the gun closer and you hear, you hear gun sound. 
And then huh. sometimes you'll hear the dude cock his gun four times in a scene. Oh, and, and because it's like it, it's it's lending to the drama, and there's a there's a sort of an unwritten rule. Anytime there's gun movement on camera, you have to have some sort of foley sound effect gun gun movement because huh. if the gun moves without any sort of clicking sound or any it's it immediately reads like it's a prop oh it doesn't have the boy. weight right because hmm. you know actors with a gun man they're just waving that they're so excited they got a gun in a scene <laughs> they're waving it around like i gotta remember everyone's like a, 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 a just a person and i've hmm. been in see i'm lucky because i've been an actor so I, hmm. and i've done movies and i've been in that position so i kind of know that's why i always put a sound for them when they look off to the side when they don't remember their lines and then they look hmm. back i try to help them out i also help them out when i dialogue when i edit dialogue with breathing they do hmm. a lot of breaths because they're nervous hmm. so they're like yeah <laughs> totally i i love you <laughs> man and they're doing all this crazy you know like so I'll, I'll take a lot of that stuff out and leave the good stuff in but yeah Gun movement. Next time you watch something, you'll be like, God, oh my God, there he goes again. Please ruin my life. I swear to God. <laughs> he just, or you'll say, this lady just cocked her shotgun and then five seconds later, she did it again. <laughs> and you're like, wait a second, she just did it. Oh, it's just one of those things, dude. So any gun movement, it's just like, you just hear, it's so unrealistic in the real world, but, but when it, you don't for do some it, reason, for some reason, it works. It works. It works. Because it, I, it, I, I mean, I've never weight. noticed so far. <laughs> Get ready. It, it's called giving weight to, to well, it's what mm. I call giving weight to a prop, right? Mm. Because that gun is the furthest thing from real on a set, right? Mm. Um, so you want to give it that weight, that mm. sound of what a, what a gun, you know, could sound like, hmm. you know, if they're holding it and like moving it around, you know what I mean? Like I just did a movie where the guy, sh he shoots the guy and then there's a close up and he, and he goes like this. And I was like, fuck, I gotta put gun movement in. Hmm. <laughs> and I always kind of hate doing it cause I'm like, <laughs> but without it, it, that whole moment is just, it just takes all the drama out. But when you put like a little more gun movement in, you're like, oh my God, he's gonna shoot him again. And it gives you the, the tension, you know? So anyway, yeah. I bet, I mean, at this point, I bet, um, so two questions following, following up on that. Uh -huh. How big is your sound library? Okay. <laughs> and, and how long does it take just to finish a whole, a whole project? <sighs> my, sound, my sound library is, is uh, trimmed now i trimmed it a little it's four terabytes oh <laughs> and that's like that's epic hits fuck mm. table hits uh arm touches and like <laughs> i mean do you, i have so much do you have like a system to to find what you're looking yeah, for yeah there's a there's a thing called sound miner mm. think of it as like a it's a very literal name for a plugin so it's mining for sounds so I would put in, uh, sometimes I'll put in FS, just FS, because there's the metadata attached, or there should be, to all the, the effects that you have. So you could look, if you're looking for feet on snow, hmm. you know, which is a really hard one to make hmm. sound real, right? Because it kind of almost, real feet on real snow, hmm. almost sounds like someone's just like farting the whole time they're walking. It's like, <laughs> you know, like, the, you gotta like, so, so if I want feet in snow, I'll put it in the sound miner. Sound miner will literally go into my external drive, find all the snow footsteps, and then they, they all line up, and then I can just go through them like that and just look for the one I like. Or body hit, I'll go through those. Or cars are really hard, man, like car mm. interiors. I bet. So it's like, it's like, what kind of car is this? You'd be shocked. Every car, I have like 5 million um, 68 Mustangs. Oh. 
you know, but I'm like, these are driving like Toyotas, okay? Like, this is like, I don't have any use for the 69 Mustang ever. I've never used it. So I want just a regular car. And it's like, I can't, you know, you can't get them. But um, yeah, so I have, I, I do have quite a bit. And then I, I do my own, I have a microphone set up, a little, Sennheiser, a little Sennheiser. You'd be blown away if you knew how much Foley I did on the spot. I mean, I have a track. Oh dedicated to hands you know nice to meet you and i do the release just because i want to get it and then mm-hmm. i just i just do it here do it, and, and that's what a lot of people do a lot of designers because i don't have time to go try and find it sometimes go and look for the exact and yeah. so i will be like the foley artist and mm. uh, i have box i have a cement box I have a wood box. I have a linoleum box uh, where I can sometimes just do feet, hmm. you know, but well, sometimes I'll just do, I've been doing MIDI, MIDI Foley. And that's a whole other hmm. thing. We could spend a whole other podcast on that. We so need, I mean, I, I definitely need to have you back. <laughs> yeah. I'll talk about MIDI Foley and how <laughs> the challenge of how many people I know in this business that have said to me, oh, dude, I got to get my MIDI Foley set up. And I actually did it. And it is so hard to get it going so that it sounds good. But once you figure it out, it actually sounds better. Hope you guys enjoy part one. Um, again, part two is going to be dropping next week. I don't want you to miss that. There's amazing tips and advices that are going to be on part two. And uh, it's going to be really, really epic. If you like part one, don't miss part two. If you're listening in Apple Podcasts, please leave me a review. It's really important and can't wait to have you on part two. Until then, guys, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. And if you're watching YouTube, thank you so much again. And remember to subscribe, hit the bell, you know the drill. And see you in the next one.